So hello, I'm Anne-Marie McMahill with the Center for Health and Safety Culture at Montana State University, and this is the ParentingMontana.org podcast. In this ParentingMontana.org podcast, we'll be learning about guidance and discipline for skill building. Guidance and discipline for skill building is, is really about being deliberate and purposeful I'd like to introduce our guest for today, Jennifer Miller. Jennifer has 20 years of experience working with adults to help them become more effective with children through social and emotional learning. She is the author and illustrator of the book, Confident Parents, Confident Kids, Raising Emotional Intelligence in Ourselves and Our Kids from Toddlers to Teenagers. Jennifer is also the contributing expert to NBC's Today Parenting. In addition, she's contributed to a lot of articles and expertise um, in popular publications like the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, and Edutopia. And most importantly, she's the mom of a 12-year-old son, and she makes her home in Ohio. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, Anne-Marie. It's a treat. I'm looking forward to our topic today. Oh, good. So today we're going to talk about guidance and discipline for skill building. And my first question is just what does this mean and why is that important? Yeah, guidance and discipline for skill building is is really about being deliberate and purposeful as a parent or, or any caregiver in how you support your child through the, the missteps and mistakes that naturally happen with development. Uh, they necessarily need to test boundaries. And so how we handle that can be a skill building opportunity. We can always look at those moments and transform those moments into opportunities to build skills like self-control, like uh, learning responsibility. So they are a social and emotional skill building moments. All right, so what I'm hearing you say is that parents can provide guidance and discipline while growing skills and overall improve their relationship with their child. Yeah, that's key. I think uh, looking for opportunities to build skills also enhances your trust uh, with your child so that instead of jumping to scolding or responding with a, a raised tone of voice, if we step back and take a moment and think about how we could use it as a teachable moment, uh, it actually de can deepen our trust uh, between parent and child and, uh, and use it as a moment where we can develop these social and emotional skills that we know are, are so critical in life. So at what age is guidance and discipline for skill building appropriate? Uh, well, you you can teach social and emotional skills from birth all the way through emerging adulthood. Uh, and I think that we have created specific tools for promoting guidance and discipline. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Anne-Marie, but I think it's uh, two or three on up to 19. Is that correct? Yeah, Parenting Montana does have does have that um, sort of starting at two. And so, so what, what's the difference between zero to two and, and two to 19? 
The difference is really awareness. Uh, babies, infants, and, and toddlers are not yet aware enough to push boundaries, but when they hit about the age of two, three, and, and we can feel it as parents, they are, are ready to take risks. They're ready to take chances. They're ready to push back. They learn that word no, and they use it over and over again, and, uh, and it can really push our buttons. Uh, so because it can push our buttons, we can react in ways maybe that we uh, were reacted to as children from our parents, but they may be ways that we, uh, we don't want to react, that we think at the end of the night, ah, I lost my patience, I lost my temper. Uh, and so the, the tools really help us be focused. We can calm down in that moment if we're frustrated and say, this could be that, that transformative moment where I could teach a sense of responsibility. I could teach uh, self-control. And so I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. I'm going to think about the tools and, and how I can turn this into a teachable moment. So for our younger kids, though, our zero to two, it's a little bit different. So what does that look like for the zero to two range? Yeah, so for the zero to two, I, and I would say all the way through, but specifically for zero to two, it's more about parenting self-control or caregiver self-control, right? So uh, it is difficult to listen to a baby cry for two hours and babies, uh, most babies, research confirms they cry two to three hours a day. So for a caregiver that can really wear on your last nerve. And uh, of course, we know that babies are, are becoming sensitized to the world. There are many things that can go on with a baby, even if you've You've diapered, you've uh, fed, you've given naps, and still they're crying. A caregiver can just be so frustrated. And so in those moments with, with those young children, how do we build our own self-control in those moments? In other words, how do we step back? How do we pause? How do we make sure they're safe? But then also, how do we take care of ourselves? Um, we take some deep breaths. I know um, moms that, that use the Calm app and, and turn on that, those soothing, soothing nature sounds and they breathe uh, so, so that they can really sustain themselves during crying um, so that they'll be there for their baby, but also maintain that self-control that, that can be so challenging. So it sounds like it's important to really as a parent or in a parenting role, be educated about child development and make sure that our expectations are realistic and be able to help identify strategies that are not only age appropriate, but just being aware of our child's changing needs. Is that what you would say? It's so true. When you look at the research on parenting resilience, how we can uh, deal with our stress and, and, um, and stay, sustain our, our patients over time, it, it comes down to understanding our children's development, it's key, uh, honing our own social and emotional skills, 
so that we can use those things like self-control, sense of responsibility, and learn ways to, to hone them in our children. And, and a third component of parenting resilience is asking for support. When we don't feel like we know how to transform it into a teachable moment, how can we ask for help? And I, I sometimes that's hard, but I think that all parents and caregivers require support. It takes a village, right? And so we, we can't be shy about seeking out educational resources, confidants, uh, grandparents, whatever supports we can find to help us uh, be the parents that we want to be. That's great. So at parentingmontana.org, there's a lot of information on this topic. There's tools for every age from zero to 19. There's two I want to know more resources that focus on guidance and discipline for skill building and logical consequences. And there's a how-to video. But even with all of that information, I still have some questions, and I imagine I'm not the only parent that really struggles with this topic. So if I can, I um, here's an issue that I had when my son was younger. Um, my son is a young adult now, um, but I remember bedtime was such an issue, and I remember that he always managed to have multiple requests. He needed water. He needed to go to the bathroom. The door was closed too much. The door was open too much. He needed to be tucked in again. And it would be 9.30 at night. And he'd continue to get out of bed. And bedtime started at like 8 o'clock. And so I'd lead him back to bed, try to address his request as quickly as I could, and tuck him back in again. But some nights it would escalate to him crying where he could not calm himself back down again. So I would go in and to help, but I feared that teaching, keep going back, that I was teaching him that if he cried long enough and loud enough that I'd come back in. And at that point, I'm frustrated and he's frustrated. Is this a place where guidance and discipline for skill building comes in? And what advice would you have given me at that, at that time? <laughs> so bedtime is such a challenge for parents and it's perennial, right? It's, uh, you know, babies won't sleep at night and you think it's going to go away when they become school age and it, <laughs> it doesn't. And then they become teenagers and it becomes a fight of, I, I can stay up as late as I want, all my friends do. So uh, bedtime is one of those challenges that is persistent throughout parenting. And also, I would say a simple yes, guidance and discipline for skill building absolutely applies. I think it applies anytime you say, this is a, a true challenge for me as a parent. Uh, it, it, it always applies. Um, but there's, there's two pieces that you can think about here. One is, what can you do in the moment when um, maybe your your son is crying because he's so upset with, first of all, he's overtired, overstimulated, up late, and, uh, and also frustrated that you won't give him the kind of attention that he's really seeking. And you've had a long day of work and parenting. You're exhausted. Your self-control is completely gone. So, you know, the, the 
the challenge of bedtime is also that our, our patience has been used up throughout the day and, and we're kind of done and ready for them to go to sleep and for us to have our own sacred time. Um, so the, the two pieces are, what do you do in the moment when you're frustrated? And then how can you step out of that circumstance and think proactively about becoming intentional about the bedtime routine and how you can set your child up for success? So which part do you want to talk about first, Anne-Marie? Do you want to talk about the in-the-moment frustration? Yeah, because I you're shaking your I head. Remember yeah. the, I remember that just feeling so torn, like, no, I have to have structure here. But then I'd been working all day and maybe felt guilty that I hadn't had a lot of time with him. So maybe he's wanting my time and I should do it. So, yeah, I think we should start there. Yeah. I mean, you know, when it is late, when your child is overstimulated, um, you know, and they're wiggling and they're anxious and they've got all kinds of needs um, and your frustration level, it has peaked. uh, It is a good time to think about a coping strategy that will help both of you. So um, is there a way that you can... Uh, calm down with him. Um, again, maybe it's playing nature sounds. Maybe you do a guided relaxation where you tense up your muscles and then you let them relax. Uh, is there a way that you can go through a relaxation process for both of you at the same time so that you're you're giving him some attention, which he clearly wants, Uh, But you're also helping both of you calm down because both of you need it. And then uh, it is after that, a quick good night. Maybe it's a hug and a kiss and I'll see you in the morning and a leaving. Um, And if he's out of bed coming back, I need this. I need that. I need water. um, I need a snack, whatever. Uh, goes on and on, right? If that happens, then you uh, are as brief and boring as possible. Brief and boring. (laughs) In other words, there's no more attention given. Um, We're going to take care of your needs, you know, help yourself to the restroom, whatever, but we're done with all social interaction we did our love, we did our calming down, and now we're done. And now it's, it's, uh, it is just taking care of business and, uh, you know, going to bed. So that's, and, and I uh, have coached a lot of parents on this, where especially with little ones, I have them just hold their hand, not say a word, but guide them back to bed and say goodnight and leave and just keep doing that. And it is a practice that your child will learn, okay, we've done it all. The routine is over. We're, yeah, we're done for the day. Um, But then I think coming away from that and asking yourself, do we have an adequate bedtime routine? Are we really in good shape? Is is, um, my child getting enough sleep at night? And what I encourage parents to do is don't look it up yourself. Look it up with your child. 
what does science say your age child requires uh, in order to get enough sleep at night? Now, I have a 12-year-old. For a 12-year-old, it's between 10 and 11 hours. It, if I look it up with him, then it's not mom being a pain. It is science that is telling us this is what he needs. Now, another thing that is really important is shutting down screens an hour before bedtime. Screens are known that the light will keep your brain active and keep a child up at night, and it will completely derail your bedtime routine. So how can you set the conditions? Low lighting, uh, reading is wonderful before bedtime. How can you create a plan together? In other words, uh, sit down with your whole family and say, okay, what business do we need to take care of? Brushing teeth, getting into pajamas. And then can we front load the business so that on the back end, we look forward to connecting? Is there a story time? If you're a, a religious family, is there a prayer? Uh, or are there just grateful thoughts that you talk about? Uh, do you do pillow talk? What's your connecting that's on the back end of business? And then and then you've got a pretty good routine. You Everybody knows who's taking responsibility for what. And when you get into that routine, hopefully you've written it down. It's better if your child writes it and illustrates it because they have a sense of ownership. You post it near your, your child's bedroom or in your child's bedroom, and you say, what's next? Uh, oh, brush teeth. That's great. Go do it. Uh, instead of saying, time to brush your teeth, time to brush your teeth, right? We get into this nagging routine, and our children anticipate it and expect it. And sometimes we train them to the point where they won't move until we've raised our voice because you know, it doesn't get serious until we raise our voice. But if we expect that they understand their responsibilities, they know the plan, and you just ask them to work the plan, and you expect that they'll get their business taken care of, and there's good stuff on the other side of business. There's a story or there's uh, some pillow talk, then you know, you're, you're setting them up for success. Well, I like that because that, it keeps the connection and it gives, I think, him, a, it would have given him a sense of independence over the plan that we've created. And, and I also think it's interesting that that really gives me a good example of why this is um, not just a topic about discipline, but it's guidance and discipline for skill building because I, I remember finding myself going to the place of, yelling or the uh, tomorrow you're going to bed an hour earlier um, but this just takes that and transforms it into into well gu guiding him in these choices and building his skills along the way of you know independence and the routine and and that makes a lot of sense yeah if you have a plan if you've talked about the plan when you're not in the bedtime routine and you've said to your child like, are there things that are difficult for you? Are there things that you need support with? And then, you know, you are confident your child really knows their responsibilities. We've talked about it. They've got it down. We know when they're going to do it. We know how they're going to do it. 
then when you get to that routine, the, the child has a, a greater sense of responsibility and of competence. Mom trusts that uh, I'm going to get this accomplished. And when we're finished, we've got good stuff to look forward to. So might as well get it done. I also love timers uh, because our children are on a very different time frame than we are. And our goals are different at night. Um, our goals are different many times, but uh, at night, the goal is stay up for kids. At night, the goal is get to bed for parents, right? So I, I use one-minute timers. Those are wonderful, those little hourglass one-minute timers, uh, and give it to them. They can control it. It's fun. They get to set it. They get to watch it, but that moves the process along when they're not motivated to move the process along. So I can see how this works when we're talking about a routine. Like all of this makes sense to me and would have saved me, would have saved me a lot of grief, I think, back in the day. But what happens if my child would have done something um, that sort of ups the ante a little bit? Like how do you talk about guidance and discipline for skill building when it's something like um, my son is hit me or maybe he hit another child on the playground like does that does that warrant a stronger reaction from me well i would say if you're going to have a strong reaction if uh, if because you're human <laughs> if your child hits another child or if a child hits you um it is going to get your emotions raised um so i think first of all you're right. When it is a more serious issue like that, uh, we have to acknowledge that we are going to have big feelings when those things happen. But yet we know that when we are really angry or really frustrated, we likely will not react in ways that later that night will say, oh, I was really proud of how I reacted. It's not likely. Um, so we really, uh, it's it's great if we can plan ahead for those moments to 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 know that we need to take some time to take care of ourselves, and it doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, if 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 a teacher is telling us that our child hit another child on the playground, and we can feel the flames rising from our head, right? Um, we can just take a moment uh, before we address our child. We can walk away, we can breathe, we can calm down enough for our full brain to regain power and not to just be in fight, flight, or freeze mode um, so that we can really think about how we can transform it into a teachable moment. If we expect that when we are super angry or super frustrated, we're going to come up with some magical solution that's socially and emotionally intelligent, then we're not acknowledging our humanity, right? We're just, it's, it's superhuman and it's just not possible. So then how can be, we be real about ourselves in those circumstances? Take that pause. And by the way, uh, when we take that pause, we are getting a twofer. Our children are learning self-control as they watch us maintain self-control. 
and then say, how can we transform this into a skill building moment? So now that my son is older, his behavior seems everything comes with a lot more risk or there's a lot of higher consequences at stake. Um, so here's, here's an example. So lately he's coming home late and keeping me up worrying. And I realize that when he strolls in past the time that I find acceptable, I should cool down before I talk to him. But sometimes I feel like I want him to see me worry like in the moment. And I, I want him to know that I'm worried and that I'm exhausted and I stayed up late waiting for him. If I don't address the behavior in the moment, do you feel like some of the impact is lost? Or as a parent, do I always wait to sort of calm down to, ad to address the behavior? Such, that is so important. Uh, I'm so glad that you brought that up. And the, the truth is I, I am not encouraging hiding your feelings at all. Uh, in fact, I think that your son seeing that you're worried, understanding that you're frustrated is super important. That's how you maintain trust because that's honesty, right? If you're hiding all your emotions, uh, they can't really know the impact that they're having on you. Uh, they say that, that research says that guilt can be a really positive emotion. It promotes moral thinking and it helps us think about the logical consequences or outcomes of our actions. The thing that we don't wanna do is shame. And so if we scold immediately, that turns into shame where our child is feeling like I, I'm a bad person because my, my mom is yelling at me. But uh, if we say, I need a minute, I am so frustrated. I was freaked out tonight. You were late again. And I thought we had this discussion. I'm so, I just need some time and let's talk tomorrow. Why don't you go to bed? Because clearly I'm not in, in good shape to talk about it. That's powerful and, and, and powerful for your son to hear and, and still maintains your trusting relationship. And tomorrow, certainly you will be socially and emotionally intelligent because you've had a whole night to think about how you can respond. But, um, but I don't think you need to be silent. I think that your son hearing how you're feeling is really important. So is it ever okay to take a more authoritative stance, like when we've addressed the issue for the 10th time, or maybe we're in a situation where I judge the wheels are starting to fall off? Yeah. So I'm not sure without specifics what you mean, but I think that logical consequences that you talk through are, are valid, important to teach what happens in the real world when uh, if, you're, if you're late for a business meeting, you can get fired. Uh, so talking through logical consequences is really important. The thing that I would caution with is that um, if, if it smells like punishment, then what a child says is, mom just wants to hurt me. 
And there, the lesson is lost. The, the idea of them learning responsibility is lost because they're lost in the feelings of mom's trying to uh, insert pain into my life. She just, she's after me. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't understand me. So the idea is if you can calm down and, and bring down some of the emotion of it from your side, how can you talk about what the impact is on your family? How can you talk about the, 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 the fear that you have as a mom dealing with safety issues and what could happen? Uh, and how can you talk about the, the need for responsibility and what he'll need to understand in order to become an independent adult? And, and it could be that there are specific consequences to that. Like, um, you know, we're, we're going to have to look at, at um, taking a pause. I, you know, I don't like to use grounding, but you know, give it some time before you go out with your friends, this same crowd again, because it's clearly not working out for us, you know? So let's talk about that. You mentioned punishment. What's the difference between this guidance and discipline for skill building and punishment? Because there's a difference there. There is a difference. And I I think um, sometimes it can be subtle, but I think the, the difference is really in the intention that you bring to how you react to your child's misbehavior. Is your goal teaching a social and emotional skill like problem solving, like taking responsibility, like um, focusing attention, executive functions? Is that your goal? If that is your goal and you're looking for ways with your child to do that, then um, then it is guidance and discipline for skill building. If you are looking for ways for them to feel the pain of what of the hurt that they've caused, then we might even call that revenge or and and that that's really in the punishment category. So it is and. It is our training. So I offer grace to all of us parenting that this is how we were parented. It's not easy. Um, But if we step back and say, how can we teach essential skills and how can we use our own essential skills of self-control and responsibility to teach that sense of responsibility, that's how it's different. So that that is very different than how I was raised. And I find it hard when my patience is low and I'm tired not to revert back to how I was raised. And I think you made a good point that punishment doesn't teach sort of how to be better in the long term. It And it really never made me feel closer to my parents. And so, you know, only our conversations about the issue seem to do that. So... Here's one other question that seems to come up is that, you know, my growing up, my my husband and I had very different experiences and backgrounds and personal histories. And I feel like we bring all of those strengths and weaknesses into our parenting. But 
What happens if we don't agree on guidance and discipline for skill building? Do you have any advice on how to navigate that that between two parents that doesn't always lead to tension and conflict? Yes, I do. I've 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 learned the hard way, <laughs> as we all do, <laughs> right? Um, you know, I think I think part of it is that we need to offer grace to the other parent that we give them the space to parent in the way that they need to and that we are going to bring our training from our own childhood for better or for worse to our parenting circumstances and it is really hard to watch when you're making improvements or trying to take a skill building approach and your partner is taking authoritarian approaches. Uh, Maybe they're yelling and scolding and you're trying not to. Um, So I I think allowing for change is important. Allowing for improvement is important, but also giving grace uh, and space for parents to do their thing and then walk away and say, did it work? How are you feeling about it? And spend some time reflecting on it and talking about if you're not feeling good, then how could these are some things that I'm trying out? Is this something you would try with me? How can we work together on this? And really trying to establish a partnership, uh, a reflective partnership around the learning process because it's not easy for any of us. This has been great. I thank you so much for joining us today just to have some of these conversations. Um, So Jennifer Miller, author and illustrator of Confident Parents, Confident Kids. And so just the, the key takeaway as I'm reflecting back on the conversations that we had is that we can be purposeful and deliberate in the ways that we're providing guidance and discipline. And we can approach it as a skill building um, and a teachable moment for our kids and to grow our kids' skills and really to enrich our relationship with them at the same time. So for more information on guidance and discipline for skill building, um, check out the how-to video of the same name in the media section of parentingmontana.org and additional information in the I Want to Know More section of parentingmontana.org. So again, thank you so much for joining us today. What a treat. I, I love the the real life circumstances that you posed. Uh, they were uh, wonderful and I think produced such a richer conversation. Oh, great. So, and then to all of our listeners, um, just keep checking back for additional podcasts um, that will be coming tools and um, more resources being added to Parenting Montana. So thank you. The ParentingMontana.org podcast is produced by the Center for Health and Safety Culture at Montana State University in collaboration with the Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services and is brought to you by the Offices of Child Care, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration, and Montana Department of Public Health and Human Services. The host for this episode was Anne-Marie McMahill. The guest for this episode was Jennifer Miller. Production support for this podcast was provided by Jamie Arpin, Katie Dively, Dr. Carrie Finley, Karen G., Kelly Green, Anne-Marie McMahill, Jay Otto, and Dr. Nick Ward from the Center for Health and Safety Culture at Montana State University. The ParentingMontana.org podcast is engineered by Preston Randolph and Tristan Acton from Cactus Pro Films. 
Special thanks to Jennifer Miller from Confident Parents, Confident Kids, and Shannon Wanless from the University of Pittsburgh Office of Child Development. Our theme music is Reasons to Hope from Reed Mathis. Thanks for listening to the ParentingMontana.org podcast.